Welcome to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SAS pod. I am Lalita Duperon, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the center are available at southasia.stanford.edu. Today, I welcome on the program two guests. Thomas Blom Hansen is the Reliance Dhirubhai Ambani Professor of Anthropology at Stanford and writes on political life, ethno-religious identities, and violence and urban life in South Asia. You may have heard me speak to him on the SASPOD just recently about his book, The Law of Force. Dylan White is the acquisitions editor for Stanford University Press for books in anthropology and Asian studies. And together, Thomas and Dylan edit the South Asia in Motion series at Stanford University Press. Thomas and Dylan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was a bit of a challenge to find a time where all three of us were available and in quiet enough places to record. But here we are, and I'm so grateful to you both to have made time. And I would like to start with a really basic one-on-one question that I think may be helpful to some of our listeners and also very much to me. Why do universities have presses and what is the history of Stanford University Press? Either of you can take that. Um, I can start. Uh, this is Dylan, and uh, Thomas can also add add anything that comes to mind as well. Yeah. But um, but you're right that you know there's a longstanding tradition of world class universities having university presses on their campuses, and to my mind, uh, in a very basic way, you know, two intersecting goals of the university are to uh, one produce groundbreaking uh, new knowledge, and two provide opportunities for education. And uh, publishing, you know, the dissemination of that knowledge uh, is is a crucial component of of achieving those those twin goals. Um, You know, I I also think about the perspective, uh, uh, you know, the difference between so-called trade publishing landscape, which is, you know, Penguin Random House or Simon & Schuster, the big big houses in New York, Mm -hmm. um, and and the regional university presses that you find around campuses um, around the country and also around the world. Uh, and, you know, as a not-for-profit scholarly publisher, uh, our calculus for supporting a given book has to do not only with its market potential, the sort of the value of the given financial return, which is probably the, the sort of main and monomaniacal concern of, of publishers uh, and at trade for-profit presses, uh, and something that we take very seriously is the somewhat unquantifiable intellectual good that the work uh, represents and what it is putting forward. And I really like that at university presses, uh, we evaluate and support books on those uh, terms. Um, you know, trade publishers are often focused on what is publishing now, what is trendy, what is flashy, whereas university presses tend to take a longer view and to um, try to keep important scholarly work in circulation that would otherwise go out of print or, or become difficult to access. Um, and I think, you know, and, and more specifically thinking about Stanford University Press in particular, um, 
you know, you can you can see this at work uh, there in terms of the, the sort of close and intimate relationship between the wider university and the press. Um, you know, there's a history of, of, of Stanford University Press on, on, the, on the press's website, but I can say here that, uh, you know, the first president of Stanford, uh, David Starr Jordan, had uh, four propositions for the founding of the institution that he put forward before he wanted to uh, sort of confirm coming on board as the president. Um, the first three addressed student admission standards, uh, the balance between theoretical and applied learning, uh, and then faculty needs. And then the fourth and final proposition was to create a system through which to publish scholarship. That was really important to him in the founding. Uh, and to, to quote directly from what he said, he said, um, and this is the quote, that provision be made for the publication of the results of any important research on the part of professors or advanced students. Such papers may be issued from time to time as memoirs of the Leland Stanford Junior University. So, you know, obviously things have evolved a lot from that sort of yeah. nascent beginning, but, you know, from the very start of the university, publishing was an integral part of the idea of Stanford University. Uh, and, you know, and a final factoid that I can give on the score is, um, you know, Stanford University Press published its first book in 1892, which makes it the oldest university press on the West Coast, uh, beating UC Press by a year. They were founded in uh, 1893. That's very important, Dylan. Yeah. And I say that oh. as a UC Berkeley grad. <laughs> we'll add that to the show notes. <laughs> uh, can, can I just add one thing here Please. to this, which is, I think, um, to uh, uh, what Dylan said, that, you know, university presses are, are not in the world to make money. They are in the world to disseminate knowledge uh, and make it accessible to a wider public and to a scholarly community. So some years ago, uh, some uh, members of some um, parts of the university leadership at Stanford decided that they thought they would revisit and maybe um, change a longstanding practice of Stanford University giving a modest subsidy to the press every year because it doesn't break even every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a threat of closure or, or severe pruning of the press's program. I remember that. And when some of us got wind of that, and we we sent we we sent uh, some alarm bells going, and within 24 hours, more than 1,500 people across campus, mostly faculty, had mm -hmm. signed strong-worded letters of protest against it. So this tells you something. And these are not humanities and social science only. Right. These were professors of human human biology and physics and whatever we all felt that this is integral to what any good university does right. and and any attack on that would be uh, would be detrimental to all of us thank you very much for that brief history i appreciate that very much and i appreciate the quotes from the 19th century uh, dylan um can you talk about the conceptualization of south asia in motion um, I'm wondering if you felt that there was a gap in the market for university books on South Asia, um, or did you feel rather that Stanford University Press needed to have more books on South Asia? And, and what are you hoping to achieve? Yes, yeah, so maybe I can take that one because there was something that happened actually before Dylan came on board uh, in 1516, uh, about six, seven years ago, there was a conversation I had with members of the uh, Kate Wall, the the, the editor in chief, and and also um, Michelle Lipinski, who was uh, Dylan's predecessor uh, as an anthropology uh, acquisition editor, and um, 
we, we talked about the possibility of doing, you know, Stanford University Press has had a very successful Middle Eastern series. It's in fact the most uh, renowned and in some ways the gold standard for, for books on the Middle East across the world. And uh, the, the idea was to do something similar for South Asia. And uh, so we had conversations, what would a series like that look like? And I have worked on South Asia for many years, and I feel that um, there's very high quality uh, of scholarship coming out of the region. And the reason for that is, is, is quite simply that you need to know and learn a lot before you can even enter into the field of South Asian studies, both in, in terms of language, in terms of history, in terms of understanding an incredibly complicated and multi-layered region. Uh, and, and so I always felt that there was a very high quality, but lots of scholarship on South Asia tended to be a little inward looking and self-referential, right? So it tended to speak to a rather large community of scholars who worked on the region. And it was like, oh, it's too much. Uh, it's too difficult to explain all this to people who don't work on the region, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was uh, a pity and wrong. And I thought there was a huge potential waiting if we could make scholars encourage scholarship that could, uh, in a sense, take a lot of the excellent work and, and very intense discussions conceptually and empirically that happen in South Asia scholarship and make that speak to larger global concerns. Because the, the theoretical and conceptual sophistication of many books on South Asia is quite astounding. And I think a lot of people know this once they pick it up, mm -hmm. but we felt that we needed to do something to, to do that. So we uh, back and forth wrote a kind of manifesto uh, that is also now the sort of series description where we say that we want, we, we're looking for books um, that do two, uh, three things, uh, one, uh, three, four things maybe. <laughs> What we're looking for multidisciplinary books. That was one thing because uh -huh. it's a it's an area study. So we don't want to limit ourselves to one discipline. Yeah, we want books that actually begin from and draw from original material from all of the kind of multiple vernacular cultures in the region. Mm -hmm. So we wanted books that have empirical richness and also engage with all kinds of vernacular material, right, in the vernacular. Uh, whatever form that, that takes in an archive or ethnography or whatever. And we wanted books that are able to, as it were, translate conceptually uh, some of the problems and issues that are being debated in these very contested cultures and contexts across the, the region to um, larger debates in the world of, of social science or humanities scholarship, which is what we mainly are going for, right? Or only going for. Um, and uh, so, so we want people who are able to, as it were, write uh, books that are, can be picked up by someone who works in, in Russia or works in the Middle East or in Latin America and can make sense of it. Mm. So we are looking for clarity and uh, communication skills, but also, you know, uh, um, a certain robustness in, in, in the way things are, are done. And, um, and then we also said, you know, we like to have books that are reflecting issues that are of public contention in South Asia. Now, that's not very difficult because everything... <laughs> <laughs> that would be everything. That's a very low bar, right? So, I mean, yes. that's, that was easy. But those are the three things. And 
you know, I have to say it, it, it was uh, uh, in the beginning, we um, of course had to get the word out. We're doing this and spread the word. And we have a wonderful editorial board that helped us do that of very well-known scholars in many fields. Um, but then, then after a few years, it was like, you know, putting uh, uh, like uh, uh, like like um, uh, tapping into a very rich vein, you can say, right. of excellent scholarship. And and I think one of the great joys of this is just how of having done this over a number of years is not only the the great books we've been able to produce, but also just to see the richness and the flourishing of so much good work. Um, from all kinds of scholars, a lot of young people, in fact, it gives makes me very hopeful about the future of this field of study, um, and just the sheer excellence and, and quality of what comes our way. And I have to say, the only misgiving I have is that we have to say no to a lot of good projects that we. Yeah, want I was wondering about that. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a kind of a, a percentage you can quote in terms of what you what you allow? You know, like how, how oversubscribed are you? I guess. Over. <laughs> what do you say, uh, Dylan? I, I, I mean, we, we don't have a fixed percentage, but sure. we have a, a sort of target of, of, of like a handful of books every year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, that automatically sets a, a certain kind of standard, right? Sure. Yeah, I would say at this stage, the series is producing one or two books a season around that mark. And uh, there are two publishing seasons in the year, a fall, winter, and a spring, summer. And we certainly receive far many more proposals than that. And you know, I think both Thomas and I wish we could take on board all of the great work that comes sure. to us that we think is worthwhile but and worthy and interesting. But just for sheer capacity, we have to turn many, many good projects away. And uh, But you know, that's, that's why I really like that there's a really robust scholarly publishing ecosystem, you know, where even though perhaps we can't take it on it, they, they, they will find good homes. Somebody so else will, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Thomas did a great job at laying out the, um, the history of the series, its genesis and so on. But I just wanted to add a few uh, more general points about uh, contextual points about the press more widely in the context of the South Asia in Motion series, which is that, you know, the press has a very long history of publishing within Asian studies, interdisciplinary Asian studies that goes back to the early 20th century. Um, but perhaps in an earlier era, it was primarily focused on East Asia in general, uh, in general and specifically China, I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, But one of the things that I really appreciate about Stanford Press is it's really, like Thomas was talking about, is it's really global scope and looking for global connections. And so it made a lot of sense and it was really uh, to add, I think, you know, thinking about my colleagues, to add a series like South Asian Motion to help uh, capture the capaciousness of Asia within the Asian studies list to make it not so focused on East Asia specifically, but also capture, you know, how the, the different variations across the, the continents and, and connections between and so on and, and without. Um, I think the other point to make here, too, is going back to uh, what I was talking about earlier about the, the sort of deep connection between the press and the university is, you know, I think this is true. This is true myself, and this is true of all my colleagues. You know, whenever there are opportunities to support or grow scholarly emphasis within the university that makes sense within the press's editorial co program, we really want to encourage those resonances. Uh, and a book series can obviously be a great, great way to to do so. And I believe at the time, perhaps the the center was also in its genesis too, around the same around the same point, and yeah, yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. And so there was a really nice parallel between the series 
the series and becoming established as well as the center and Thomas's work as well. Uh, and we want to really strike a nice balance between, you know, reflecting the priorities of our home institution as well as bringing new strengths to the university that reflect reflects the priorities of the wider disciplines in which we publish work. And again, a series like South Asia in Motion is a great way to to help strike that balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love looking at the website and it's like I want to read every single book and, and it's not because I'm only interested in one topic. I'm not. I love everything. And, and there's so much um, both depth and breadth there. So I think you've talked already quite a bit about how you acquire books, but I wonder if there's anything um, you, you need to add to that. So how do we say I'm an author? I have a book. Um, are you looking for more established authors? What if it's somebody who just finished their PhD? And what are the mechanics? And what is some of the timeline? And what happens? Talk us to those of us that don't know how university presses work. Just walk us through some of the steps. Either of you. I'll just say say a few things and then Dylan will, uh, he's the process guy, so he can do that. Um, but we're looking for everything. We, we are looking for established authors. We are looking because we, and we have quite a few in the beginning, we didn't have that many, but now we actually have very established people who come to us, um, very big names in, in, in South Asian studies are coming to us with stuff. And I think it just shows that the goal that I think Kate Wall set out, which was like, we want to replicate what we did in Middle Eastern studies is actually happening in South Asia. It's a, yeah. a place where a lot of authors and, and we've just been, Dylan and I just went to the big anthropology conference, uh, uh, annual one, and and I think I dare say that this is a, one of the first addresses that people think about when they have a new book in, on South Asia, right? So, right. so that that part is is good. So it's both older, younger. Uh, um, I do I want to say that um, we get a lot of uh, people who just finished their PhD who say, oh, you know, maybe I should approach you now, and then we always say to them. Yeah, well, you know, a, P a freshly minted PhD is not yet a book, so you have to do more in terms of conceptual development than make it into a broader and more distinct argument and all that. So we have a whole, so that's the kind of conversation we have with younger authors, and we do want to see ourselves as, a, as, as, as people who are supporting the careers of younger scholars and launching their, their scholarly careers, but of course, we, we, that cannot be the only thing we do, so we but I think we have a broad range of, of different authors. So Dylan, over to you. Yeah, thanks for that, Thomas. That's a great way to start. And then to talk more about procedurally, you know, um, one thing that I've appreciated about working with Thomas is uh, is how much he gets excited about the books uh -huh. and um, and about the pro proposals that we receive. And so just talking about a bit about the process again. Um, so one thing that we require for South Asian Motion is we want to see not only a book proposal, but also two sample chapters, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, perhaps a bit more robust than might be normal for other presses or even other works that I see. You know, sometimes I'll consider proposal and, and a single sample chapter. But again, because of the, the sort of number of proposals we receive and their quality, it is really useful to see more of the work from the start to see sort of the research base and the rigor and so on and so forth. Am I, am I characterizing that correctly, Thomas? I wanna check in with you here. Yeah, I mean, I, I always say to authors who approach me or, or Dylan or both of us, you know, when you send us sample chapters, we wanna see your best chapters. We wanna see your gold, the gold you have to share with us, um, the, that which is the heart of the book. Mm. Because yeah. that's how we make our determination also. Yeah. Right. You know, right. Um, because this is an explicit goal of the series to bring the best scholarship that has the best kind of gold in them, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we want to um, 
Yeah. And that's one and, of our criteria. And um, and so, you know, so Thomas and I meet regularly about once a month or so to discuss new projects that we received and also to talk through projects in what you would call our publishing pipeline, right? Projects that are in motion, uh, not to make too much of a pun <laughs> on, the, uh, on the series title, but projects that are in motion in some way, either undergoing peer review, sort of past peer review, getting ready for production, in production, heading towards publication and publicity and so on and so forth. And so we review all of the proposals that we receive in the context of all these other ongoing commitments that we have, as, as well as what the series has published already. Um, and it's especially helpful, you know, also with Thomas's vast knowledge of the um, of, of the area of scholarship to sort of evaluate, you know, how a particular project might fit into the wider mosaic of the series um, and provide some sort of, uh, you know, new angle that we haven't yet been able to touch for 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 various reasons to make sure that we're like he was talking about before really create a um, uh, sort of a detailed and a textured um, series that is interdisciplinary deeply interdisciplinary and and captures sort of the breadth of everything that's going on in in a, in a really dynamic region like South Asia um, and then but sort of more procedurally you know every book goes under rigorous peer review um, you know, typically one or two rounds of review, uh, as well as sort of gets um, assessed by the Stanford faculty board, which I, I, I know Thomas was a part of at, at one point as well. Um, so he knows no that longer not, because that would be a conflict of interest. I that's right. That's right. Yeah. At one point, no longer. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so so you know, and and through this sort of rigorous review process with Thomas's as well with Thomas's input at various stages, um, these projects uh, begin with a lot of promise, and then they they end as these really sharp, um, these really sharp and, and really exciting works, and it's really uh, and it's exciting to to watch them take that uh, sort of uh, to make that evolution over the course of a year or two or three, depending on you know how these projects unfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thomas, you say you want people to send you gold. So tell me what is gold for you? What is because there must be a holistic, you know, you probably have some um, check boxes, but there must be a holistic something that just gets you and you're like, yes, this is what I want about what does that look like for you? What are those things that really strike you? Yeah, so unlike real gold, we have different kinds of gold, right? So uh, uh, there's only one real gold, right? But uh, in this world, uh, there are different kinds of things we're looking for. So one um, type of book um, that could be uh, of real interest is when you do something that's unusual in its, uh, you know, uncovering an area that really hasn't been published about a whole lot, um, working with sets of people or bringing forth materials or archives that haven't been explored before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can mention a few of our examples if you, you know, I mean, one is actually one of the very first uh, books, or the first two books we ever published. One is uh, the South African Gandhi, which created some controversy, which was a, a, a two South African historians who read through the local archive of, of correspondence around Gandhi's life in South Africa and showed that the, the great Mahatma was not exactly a, a great friend or had good things to say about Africans he worked with and and um, and so on and so forth and was, uh, uh, so, so that created some controversy. Many people didn't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I thought that was a great book. We had, yeah. uh, um, we had um, Middleton's book, um, uh, the, the, the Demands of Recognition on, on uh, these were the first two books we had, uh, The Demands of Recognition on, on Darjeeling, the 
quest for recognition in Darjeeling right. uh, from these groups. And 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 he, he his his no one has written a book like that. It's an absolutely wonderful book that also shows how anthropology and social sciences are deeply in involved in producing a certain kind of outcome on the ground. Not, I mean, government sponsored um, anthropologists and social scientists in the region of framing and understanding what is the unique uh, culture of Gorkas and so on up in the tea district, mm -hmm. Darjeeling and so on. So that, that's uh, so another example is uh, Maria Rashid's book, uh, Dying to Serve, which is a, um, based on a string of fantastic interviews with military families in Pakistan. And you know, there's so little work on the Pakistani army. We all know that it's an incredibly powerful and important institution. But here's an author who actually managed to get sit down with all these families. Um, so th these are examples of, of, of books that really broke new ground, as it were. And we have, a, a, <laughs> I could mention many more. We have also some of the books we have coming out um, that really do unusual work that hasn't been done before. And then yeah. there's another set of books that that do that take areas, something we think we know about, but actually turn the evidence around or turn the argument around in, in, in various ways. So for instance, uh, Sunil Purushottam's uh, From Raj to Republic is an example of that, uh, where um, he takes, he rewrites and rethinks and shows us a new picture of what actually happened just in the years after independence to show that this was not a peaceful period. This was a, a, a period full of, of, of violence and conflict and, and so on and so forth. There's lots of myths making around this area. Um, and and um, another example is um, is uh, uh, Sanjeev Rotray's book, The Right to Be Counted, for instance, mm -hmm. that also does that many people have worked in slums and all that. Well, he goes out and he he shows us that uh, contrary to what many people think that, oh, people in slums would like to evade and escape the state. No, they don't want to. They actually want to be counted. Right. They want to be included in, in a whole bunch of ways. And he shows in detail these kinds of languages people uh, develop on the ground and so on. So those are also lovely books that can, and there are many more one convention, right? Um, that sort of uh, take something we think we know something about and that twists the perspective 50% or 100% yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also gold for me. And I think uh, Dylan would agree with this. And 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 judging from the readership, I mean, the, the kind of re reactions we get and the reviews that many of our books receive, I think um, other people share our opinion. There's a, a shared opinion on what is gold. Not 100%, but, but, you know, I'll take 80% on that front. Right? For sure. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, Dylan, are there any books that you're particularly fond of? Yeah. So, well, first I'll just say that uh, Thomas's point there you know, just as more a general point to some listeners who might be early in their development as scholars who are thinking about their first books is, um, you know, first time scholars, especially, I think are, are quite good at articulating the what their project, like what their project is about, and perhaps also the how, the way in which they went on to find their what. But, um, but often, you know, first time authors have a harder time articulating a strong why, right? Like Thomas was talking about, why is this important? Why now? Why is this distinctive? Why, like, what is, how is this different or new? And I think one thing that's really exciting in, about the series is how strongly articulated not only what and how are in the books, but also, but also a why and how they sort of give us something really fresh and different. 
Um, and he really dug into that quite quite well. But um, mm -hmm. beyond on the, so, uh, to answer your question directly, um, you know, I'm I'm fairly new to the series. I uh, I arrived at Stanford Press about a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, and it was really exciting to come on board uh, with such a strong uh, series uh, among the, the the sort of wider program that I was working on. But which but which is all to say that uh, you know most of the books on the series I didn't have a direct relationship with as an editor. Um, but now that I've been here for uh, a little bit of time, uh, it, it's it's been great to see uh, you know my first few books that I've seen from the very beginning right. heading towards final publication. Okay. Um, and and the the two first ones in that sort of category of you know they were submitted with me as the editor and I I saw them through the review process with Thomas and worked with the authors um, at various stages of of the process on you know title and cover and and so and all the other sort of nuts and bolts that go into making a book um, are uh, one by Wakas but um, Life Beyond Waste work in infrastructure in urban Pakistan. And a second one by Hafsa Kanjwal, Colonizing Kashmir, State Building Under Indian Occupation. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can find both of those uh, on our website if, if, if the listeners are uh, curious about learning more about the books. And Thomas, of course, would be feel free to, to talk about those if he has anything to add. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, one of the joys, I think, about being a, a, an editor is, is developing a relationship with, with an author, a working relationship, a collaborative relationship with an author. And um, yeah, it's been really great to work with both Wakas and, and Hafsa, and um, it's uh, and I'm really excited to see uh, their books um, make it into the make it into the real world, you know, off off of the off of the computer screen and, and into people's hands. I have I have very fond memories of two uh, people. I mean, many more, but the two people in my life in this particular context: the woman that helped me birth my child, and the woman the first my first editor. Um, just <laughs> the, the hand holding and and the massaging the pain away are, are <laughs> remarkably I, I wanna, similar. If I could, can I just add here um, to what um, um, Dylan is saying that I think uh, one thing we we find, and this is maybe also in the context of some of the books we mentioned here, you know, when one particular problem in South Asia is that the there is an elephant in the in the region that's called India, and then you have uh, these other countries, and that's also true of publications. So we have made a real effort mm -hmm. to try to find and ask for and search for really first-rate work that comes out of the other regions in in uh, in South Asia, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Nepal, and so on. We are not quite there where we want to be, but we have done a lot, and actually. Um, there's something really exciting happen, happening in Pakistan the last decade or so. There's a real sort of um, um, growth in fantastically high quality scholarship. And we have published, actually, this is our third or fourth book on Pakistan in, in our series, that Wakas's Wakas uh, work. And um, so we want to reflect that. We want to reflect what's actually happening and this sort of Indocentricity, you know, that everything is about what happens in Delhi and, and environs, you know, we have yeah. to get rid of that and actually look at it. And all our books, many of our books have uh, actually target also parts of India, for instance, that are very far from the center, right? And very far from conventional concerns uh, of that every reasoning about India has to start in the cow belt uh, in Uttar Pradesh or whatever, you know. So, so I think uh, that that's also something we think about very actively all the time that we want to 
produce a different kind of, of uh, knowledge or be help produce and, and bring forth a form of knowledge that doesn't reproduce the kind of canonical ways of looking at South Asia that have been there for so many years. And that includes also work on, in this case, Wakas's book on waste workers. So we have a, a great book uh, uh, by Shalaja uh, um, Pike on, on, on who is herself a, a Dalit scholar on, on, um, on Dalit women in, in the performing arts and so on. So we want to bring forth uh, uh, books that actually don't reproduce necessarily the canonical perspective that that many people grew up with when yeah. they were trained and educated in this field. Yeah, and I'm really pleased you bring that up because there's so much space for that um, that kind of scholarship. And I'm I'm wondering um, if both of you can talk me through some of the challenges then that you that you have perhaps faced in the past and are facing in the present and are perhaps also anticipating in the future. Because by trying to bring um, more light to these voices that are perhaps less commonly heard and considering the kind of politics that are happening in South Asia all the time where everything is more or less controversial. Um, uh, presumably some of that plays into your decision-making and, and discussions you have with the editorial board, et cetera. So can you speak to that? We, we do work. I mean, one challenge we have had and, and, and something we discussed with authors that we've done since the beginning has been to how do we disseminate our books in South Asia? And that is actually mm -hmm. a problem. And, and Dylan can say more about this because of price differentials and, and the way that rights are managed by presses. But one, we have struck up a very good and longstanding um, collaboration with a, a press in India called Navayana, but also other presses. Um, Navayana was part of our publication of the very first book on South African Gandhi. More recently, a couple of books that they have been involved in. So we work with them. And that's a, a press that is dedicated to scholarship on Dalit issues, very progressive press, and, and they have a clear mission. But we, of course, have to work with different presses. So, so we are trying to do that. We are trying to create a circulation of our books um, in, the, in the South Asian market. Dylan? Yeah, um, on that point, you know, I can just add that, um, um, you, know, what, you know, one thing that I've also appreciated about coming on board to Stanford Press, and especially, you know, where I think, you know, I think this began... Uh, before I came on board uh, and has continued um, subsequently since I've taken over the list areas is a real uh, is a is a real attention to making sure that we are doing the best that we can to make sure that every book in the series finds its way uh, to to a publisher in in India or South Asia more generally so that there can be that accessible regional edition. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I know the the rights manager at Stanford University Press works very hard and diligently to do to uh, to make connections with with publishers and to um, and we can so that we can work collaboratively uh, collaboratively to make sure that the work is accessible. Um, yeah, and because of like Thomas was talking about the different price differentials and yes. so on between a U.S. based publisher and its needs and costs and so on uh, versus versus uh, places in South Asia. Um, but, uh, but you know, on the question, on on the more general question that you put forward, um, you know, I think that um, we're always, like Thomas has said before, we want to be able, we want to be exploring uh, new and different topics from new and different perspectives. And I think that one of the things that I've always uh, that I've appreciated about the series since I've come on board, and also Thomas's editorial vision, is is a boldness. Uh, 
to try and to try and do something that's that's new um, and different. Um, and it's a it's a it's a character of the series that I think is why it's been so successful is because there is a support for that type of scholarship and for that type of thinking uh, and for that and also for, you know, uh, a quality of, of writing as well. I mean, the one thing that scholars based in South Asia are faced with now are actually increasing reluctance from both institutions, but also publishers to take on projects that seem to be too controversial. Yeah. Because there is tremendous uh, political pressure. And that brings us, or, or that means that we are not under that kind of pressure, right? We, we are free to produce and support scholarship that's critical of the prevailing order and various forms of inequality and oppression or whatever, and we'd be very attentive to that. But we also know that that um, that scholars uh, from the region, we we, we want to make ourselves available as an outlet for them, and also help them get their books out. and And sometimes it can be easier to get your book out if it's already published in conjunction with a major uh, American university press. I mean, that speaks to that makes it it supports the scholars in a way make their arguments also in a publishing world in India that is, um, that's not getting easier for them for political reasons. Thank you so much for pointing that, Thomas. I really appreciate that. We do have listeners all over the world. So you may find there's an influx uh, of manuscripts heading your way. Uh, and Whoa. so if, if there's any, um, if there's any, um, particular message that you have for prospective writers and perhaps also for prospective readers, uh, this is the time to say it. Well, I mean, I want to say it's um, ours is an academic press. We're looking for scholarship. We're looking for scholarship that is clearly thought out and clearly written, but we're not looking for something that is uh, necessarily public facing, that is popular writing or essayistic writing or autobiography or translations and so on. We're looking for work that has been done by people uh, uh, that have done the work themselves, right? That have been in the field, in the archive, out there generating new perspectives, new arguments, have poured over these pages for years and years and years and, and have come up with something that's really um, outstanding. And that's what we're looking for. And there's a lot of that out there. There's more than we can publish, but that's what we're looking for. So we're looking for people who want to have a clear but scholarly voice um, that's attentive to the realities of this, the South Asian region as it is today, Yeah. right? And the voices that really matter today. Uh, and also people who are willing to go along with our, as Dylan said, uh, a sort of bold, more bold profile, um, not afraid of asking critical questions and so on, not afraid of, of uh, uh, questioning how they were taught to think maybe yeah. when they grew up or when they went to school or they went to university or when they went through their doctoral program or whatever, people who are, who are willing to go along with us on that mission. That's, that's what we're looking for. And it doesn't matter where people are. Uh, we are open to all, we are, open 24 seven uh, <laughs> to, to anyone who's interested and who, who thinks that they fit that description. Yeah, I think Thomas answered the question beautifully. I mean, on, on the question of what readers can expect, I think they can expect more high quality, really well-written books uh, for years to come. I think it's fair to say, 
Um, and it like uh, you have know, a lot in the pipeline. So for yeah, the I mean, sure when, years to come. Right. When you, I mean, when you mentioned the challenges, again, the thing that came to mind immediately is just, we just, we received so many, like, it's just, it's such a challenge to receive so many high quality proposals and try and, um, and it's really tough to, it's really tough to, uh, to strategize about um, how we can move forward with, with what given project, given, given the amount of high quality submissions we receive. But again, I think that goes back to the real health of the series and, um, uh, and and at the start, you know, Thomas's really great vision for for South Asia in motion. It it all comes together so beautifully because um, one of the things that I love about my work at the Center for South Asia is doing this podcast, uh, and it's uh, it's a podcast in motion, if I may uh, use that phrase. Um, we're growing our audiences. People are now writing to me asking if they can be on the podcast, and this it just started as something to keep us ticking over during the pandemic and. It's really living a life of its own, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and so I feel that we're we're kind of riding the same wave, and and really um, a growing South Asian studies at Stanford, which is the SAS uh, of the SAS pod. So thank you so much for coming on today and talking about South Asia in Motion at Stanford University Press. We're obviously going to link uh, to all the websites in the show notes. Um, we'll be um, featuring some of the authors, both in in-person lectures at Stanford, um, through webinars, and also on the podcast. So uh, watch this space, much more to come. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on this podcast. We appreciate it. And Thanks so much. The work you do, you I think you have spread the word about the, all the work that's going on, on uh, at Stanford uh, on this front uh, really well. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you both, Thomas and Dylan. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I also want to thank Soham Shiva for the music and Simrat Mataru for post-production. Thank you for listening to the SASPOD, the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast. Find out all about the Stanford Center for South Asia at southasia.stanford.edu and find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can tune in again soon. I'm a